Hey guys, it's Sunday, May 22nd. Hope you're doing well. It's Evan here, ready for another podcast. I've been off all week on a staycation. So I, as you'll be hearing in a few minutes, I met with Michael, which is a good friend of mine. We get together occasionally and talk about money. And as we get closer to firing and quitting our jobs, we compare notes and we've been talking about what's going on in the market with a recession looming, as you know, and things like that. So I hope that you enjoy this conversation. It's a little bit on the lengthy side. So put in your earbuds and walk with me to wealth as always. Stay tuned. The podcast starts right now. Hey, before we start our episode, always remember, if you don't want to be broke at 40 like I was, or if you are broke at 40, stay tuned on a weekly basis where I explore the basics of personal finance and more importantly, the behaviors that can bring you from broke to brilliance, whatever you think brilliance may be. And as always, this podcast is for entertainment and educational purposes only. Please consult with a financial advisor if necessary. My name is Evan Thomas, and this is the Broke at 40 podcast. Hi, everybody. Thanks for joining me on this episode of the Broke at 40 podcast. Um, I do want to tell you that it is for me right now recording this Wednesday morning. And I told you, I believe, last week that I was going to be meeting with my friend Michael. Michael and I have been talking about money over the past 12 years. It used to be more frequently, but now it might be a couple times a year. And I wanted to be able to take this time right now while it's fresh in my mind to chat with you about what we discussed, because I think it can help anybody, especially late in life savers, as you guys are thinking about what's going to happen in the future as you continue to build your wealth over time, just like I did over the past 15 years. You know, because you do get to that point when you're in your mid 50s where you start thinking about the reality of should I fire and quit my job, retire a little bit early, not like the millennials that are doing it a lot earlier than we are. But if you started late in life, you know, firing for us could be just a few years early, maybe five years early, seven years early, something like that. So I wanted to share with you today, I know I'm not dropping this episode until Sunday, but since it's fresh in my mind, I wanted to share with you how the day yesterday, Tuesday, panned out as far as our discussions. Um, And before I get to that, though, I want to tell you that, um, and perhaps remind you, because I may have talked about this before, Michael and I have about the same salary. We have about the same amount of money in investments. And we are about, as I said, the same age within one year. And I think I also shared with you that through the years, as I've been talking to him about personal finance, he has become, you know, more interested in the topic and has probably made some decisions based on the discussions that we've had, which I think is great. And I think I also shared with you, perhaps if not, forgive me, but um, Michael was wondering if he could somehow create some type of a passive income stream, like we all think about, uh, going into retirement. So maybe he wouldn't have to touch his 401k until a little, little bit later So there are all sorts of things going on in his mind, and we talked about that yesterday. And again, I want to share that with you. He was the one that I shared with you that wanted to buy a beach property, 
and rent it out and thought that that could give a lot of passive income, which it can. And I'm not saying that's not a good idea. I'm just saying you guys know me, Evan, on this podcast that I'm super conservative and I keep things really simple. That's just me. That's how I think. And by talking to Michael yesterday, um, it really helped us both understand where we are and where we may want to go. So the day started, I, I drove to his house, which is about an hour away from where I live. Um, I stopped and got lunch, you know, and I, we didn't want to go out. We just wanted to hang out at the house and, um, we had lunch and we actually, I talked about my condo redesign. So we ended up rearranging his living room. I know kind of crazy. Um, and that was a lot of fun, took some pictures and then we, we started to, you know, segue into our conversations about finances and Remember, Michael wanted to buy the property and was getting all excited about that. But you have to remember that through these years, Michael did a lot of things that I did, which is position myself to have such low expenses that no matter what happens in the market in the future, I should be prepared to deal with anything that comes my way. And I would encourage you guys to do the same. So Michael um, had a property. Um, a condo that he bought in 2015 for, I think, 130000 but then sold it just about a year ago, maybe a year and a half, for a very good profit, like a lot of people are doing. Um, and no matter what state you're in, most real estate, as you guys know, over these past years, especially the past two years, um, properties have gained value so much, right? And it might be overpriced, but so what some people are doing, like Michael, is he took advantage and leveraged that opportunity to sell the property, and he had a chunk of change as a result of that, right? Um, I think it, I can't remember exactly how much it was, but it was a lot, 150000 something like that, that he has in a savings account, you know, and and then there was another 150000 So I think he had like 300000 going on. He wasn't sure what to do with that. And in his 401k, he had about 700,000. Okay. So that's just setting up the scenario of about the million dollars that he has in his, I guess, net worth. Right. And which is comparable as you guys know, to where I am as well. So a few months ago when he was talking about a beach property, I would listen and I would think, okay, I got to lay down and listen to this. (laughs) I got to regroup because I don't want him perhaps maybe to get into a situation where he makes maybe some wrong decisions. And I wanted him to see just how positioning in a good place he really is. Um, And whatever decision he makes is fine with me and I'll support him regardless. Um, But that's how the conversation went and and started. Okay. So, you know, so now, you know, as far as Michael, in terms of the money that he's got going on, et cetera. Um, Let me start by sharing with you that on a piece of paper, I wrote down some things that I knew that I wanted to analyze for myself to, understand this again. And you guys know, I pick up, as I shared with you last week, I forgot to really do my finances for a few months. And then I go back, the more you revisit your numbers and you get your calculator out and you look at it, the better you are able to talk to people about what's going on. If you have a person that you talk to about finances. So I spent 30 minutes or so reviewing my numbers and I wrote them on a piece of paper because I wanted to share with him and see if he was in the same position that I was in our mid fifties and we pretty much are in the same position. So let me give you some numbers. If you want to jot these down, 
Um, it can help you then figure out where you are with the income that you have and the expenses that you have. And, you know, ultimately, what is your savings rate potential as you build your wealth? My income, as you guys know, is about 114000 Now, remember, when I do these analysis, this type of analysis, I include my salary, my bonuses, and my company matches to my 401k and my health savings account into this total number of income because then I subtract it out in my analysis into the appropriate buckets of investments. So if we have $114,000 as the top number of income, then, then excuse me, then the, the total tax is 23,000. So I just go into my pay stubs and I look at it, I do my analysis and I multiply it by 26 pay periods. And so I know that my total tax that I pay is $23,000. So let's subtract that from the 114. The other bucket of money here is you guys know my expenses are 16,000 per year. And Michael asked me, well, what does that include? And I said, well, these are true expenses. These are the expenses like not, not fun and other, but things like your um, association fees. He paid off his property, so he owns his property now. I, I probably forgot to mention he had two properties. He paid one off that I just talked about. He has another property that he paid off as well. So he's debt-free completely. Um, and so I said, Michael, yeah, my expenses are my true expenses, my electric, my cell phone, association, um, food, gas for my car. I, these are all things that I need. And I've talked about this before. Remember, and what you do is if you have something that you pay once a year, like my car insurance, you have to add that to the bucket, get your total big number. And if you want to divide it by 12, you can to see what the monthly is, but I don't really care about monthly. I'm looking at a bigger picture of one year. And But you have to make sure you account for things like your property taxes that you, that you may pay once a year unless it's escrowed in your mortgage payment and things like that. But get that total big number. And my total big number for true expenses is 16000 So Michael got his notebook out and he goes, you know what? I just did an analysis as well to prepare for this because, as you know, he has been you know, selling the properties and trying to get his expenses down. And sure enough, his expenses were like right where mine are true expenses. His were 17,000 minus 16,000. Okay. So remember we have our 114 minus the 23 tax, and now we're subtracting 16,000 for expenses. Then I said, I also give myself about $6,000 for fun and other. It's a wild card because some years I may pull from what I put into savings, not investing, but savings to offset that. So really as you're going through your life and you're living that's a fluid number, but it's always about 6,000. And so, okay, let's subtract 6,000. Well, what is left over? It's 69,000. So if you have your 114 minus 23 minus 16 minus six, now you have 69,000 left over. That is the money that goes into my saving and investing. And he said, well, what do you mean by that? I said, well, I reminded Michael that now I only put 6% into my 401k, which I shared with you guys before I was maxing that out to the total dollar amount for years, a decade or more. Well, now, because I'm preparing for early re retirement, whether that be five years or three, whatever it is, 
I'm building up my cash cushion. And I talked to him about that. And we'll talk about it here in just a few minutes. So currently the 69,000 is, you know, savings and investing. He said, well, what does that break down into? And I said, well, um, 16,000 of that goes into my 401k and my health savings account and includes the matches because remember the number up above for total income of 114 was salary bonus and matches. So I'm subtracting it out. So of that 69,000, we take away 16,000 goes into true investing for me this year. But the savings going into my ally savings account is 53,000, 53 plus 16 is 69. So he got that. He's like, okay, I get it. And his, uh, money that he puts into his 401k currently is also just 6% of his salary. So we're, we're, we were like in that regard as well. And my intent in doing this for him, because his salary is about the same as mine, is that he really has more fluidity of money. But Michael has an issue, I guess we could say that I don't have. And I told him this and he agreed and he knows it, that he's not as good as I am about being super frugal. And this has been going on for 10 years and he knows that. He also, I want to pause here for just a minute and say that, you know, years ago when I was a guest on the Suzy Orman show, I had a $200,000 net worth. And at that point, he didn't really share all his numbers with me, but slowly over the years, he started to. And his net worth was bolstered. Is that the right word? Yeah bolstered a little bit because of an inheritance he had from his family, something that I haven't had, although I told you about my grandfather gave us about 22,000, I think it was, you know, um, but he had a larger inheritance. I think it was 150 to 200,000, something like that. And then, then also he sold the property, which I've never done. And he got that, you know, money from that as well. So his net worth, boom, got bolstered by these two big events, which is great. So you guys, you guys may have things like that if you're behind the eight ball as a latent lifesaver, just all depends. Um, my road to financial independence has been slower, more of my savings rate, et cetera. So I helped Michael understand, and I wish I had a flip chart to show him this, but I subtracted that out and I said, Michael, that's pretty good. Don't you think that, you know, most people making over a hundred thousand are not really thinking this way. And we've talked about this before. They're thinking more about the cars they can buy, right? You know, I just met somebody recently that has a BMW that, you know, isn't making as much as I am, I don't think. And so people are willing to lease expensive vehicles and pay six, seven, eight hundred dollars a month for things that I never did. And so they're inflating their lifestyle rather than keeping it down and getting their savings rate up. So I said, Michael, the way that you figure out your savings rate is to take the number after tax, right? Which is for me about 91,000 and you back into the savings rate. So um, my savings rate is 76%. I save the 69,000 per year, save and invest, which is a savings rate of 76%. That's pretty darn good, right? And that's where I would encourage all of you guys to get to and position yourself. If it takes you five, seven, or eight years to get there, then do that. Because by the time you get to your mid fifties and you start thinking the way I am, then you have all of this flexibility in options, huge options. So let me continue on. And then Michael chimed in and said, you know what? You're right. 
because he sold his property, because he doesn't owe anything on his current property, his numbers very, very similar to what I just shared with you right now. Okay, so as we were continuing to talk, that was the first thing that we discovered in our analysis as we are cross-checking and reverse engineering, which I said are some skills that I want you guys to have as well as you talk to people and yourself about what you're doing as you go towards financial independence. And so the next thing we kind of segued into is that he said, uh, Evan, he goes, I also have an analysis that I wanted to share with you a printout from when he reached out to his 401k plan administrator. You know how you have financial advisors through your 401k. And he just started doing some analysis about six months ago to find out and kick the tires, right? Kicking the fire tires as we all do when we start thinking about our eligibility, if you will, of early retirement and seeing what people tell us and then we take that away and we talk to people and we think about it. So um, he, as I said earlier, has about the million dollars, about 700,000, it's actually 650 in his 401k. So when he reached out to his 401k people, <laughs> for lack of a better word, they came up with a plan for him based on the money that he has and with knowing that he would get social security. So, you know, as you guys think about this, you probably want to forecast, go to irs.gov, figure out what your, wait, is that the right? It might be socialsecurity.gov. I can't remember. But anyway, you know, find out what your payout will be for early social security or later social security and work those numbers into your analysis. You know, it's always good to not do that too. I've talked about that, but um, in this discussion that Michael had with his advisor at the 401k, um, where he, wherever he has his 401k, they did an analysis that I wanted to share with you. And what Michael and I did then is we cross-checked and reversed engineered to see if we could get to the same numbers by by the what information they gave him. Because he was kind of amazed that because he has 650000 in his 401k, the financial advisor was saying that, yeah, you would probably be okay um, to about age 83, somewhere in there, um, with your $650 and your social security. And they gave him numbers about how much he could receive. And when I first heard him say that, I said, wait, 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 Michael, let's, let's slow down a little bit. <laughs> let's, let's try to cross check and figure out how are they getting these numbers? And I said, well, what's their withdrawal rate that they're telling you? Cause that seems pretty crazy. So we backed into this and I'm going to do my best to share with you right now what that discussion came out to be. So what we did was he he said to me that the advisor said that he could get $46,000 per year starting if he decided to quit his job next year when he's 56 and that money would last until about age 83, let's see, 83 minus the 56, you know, like 27 years. So it's just shy of a 30 year financial analysis, if you will. Um, and so, you know, we were like, I said, Michael, that, that seems really high. That's a really high withdrawal rate, more than 4%. What, what are they talking about? So 
as we read what he, he he read some paragraphs to me and I was like, okay, I think I get it. So what they were saying is that, you know, for the first six years, like let's look at a, a 30 year horizon. I know it could run out of money at 27 or whatever at 27 years, but let's just look at a 30 year horizon. So if he's 56 through 61, that's six years of funding the 46,000 need. And I'm going to address the need here in just a few minutes, but they're saying you could get the 46,000 per year because they know that social security will kick in when he turns 62. They gave, they decided to do an early retirement, or I'm sorry, early withdrawal um, from social security. And so as we were thinking about it, we're like, well, wait a minute, that's more like a seven and a half percent withdrawal rate, maybe a seven. And then, okay. I'm like, that's not sustainable over time, but it would really only be for the first six years. But as you'll hear me talk about in this episode, sequence of return risk, I reminded Michael when we talked about it, that could be problematic for people retiring, perhaps coming up now in the eve, perhaps of a recession. And I talked about that with Michael and we talked about the the cash reserves that you would need because I really do feel that we could go into a recession. And anyway, I'll get to that here in a moment. But in this analysis of what this advisor said for normal market returns, then, you know, he could pull the 46,000 for the first six years and then only pull 29,000 for the next 24 years, approximately, right, to get the 30-year analysis here. So the need would be reduced because why? Social Security then kicks in about 22,000. 29 and the 22, 29 plus the 22 is, that's too much. Um, what was it? Um, 22 plus 17, was it? I'm getting confused with my numbers. Anyway, let me continue on because anyway, it's it's subsidizing the social security that he would get. So you're not paying yourself more money. You're still getting the 46 but it goes down substantially for the 24 years because of social security coming in. So that's why the withdrawal rate would be seven approximately percent off that 700,000 that he has in the 401k. And yes, you have to pay taxes on that because he has no um, 401k Roth going on. It's all pre-tax dollars. So we talked about that as well. Um, But hopefully that makes sense that in that analysis, they are, saying that you're going to have this subsidization of social security. And that's where Michael, the light bulb went off and we thought, okay, so that's what's going on there. So even though a 30 year horizon might be a more of like an average of the four to 5% withdrawal rate, it could be that in the first years, it could be more of a withdrawal rate. Now, let me pause for a minute and say, Michael, hold on, hold on. (laughs) That's with average market returns. But I reminded him and talked to him about the 4% rule. What was the guy's name? Bagan, Bagan or whatever in 1994. Trinity study, I think it was called, right? The 4% rule. I've talked about this before, but just to recap, in the 30-year increments of time of analysis of the stock market history, remember, the 4% rule always worked and did better. You could take more money out for most of those 30-year periods. The only 30-year period that the 4% rule netted to zero, I guess, at the end of those 30 years was in 1966, the year that I was born. So if you retired then 
in 30 years, it was really 4% is all you could have done. You couldn't have taken the 5% average every year or 6% or 7% because you would have run out of money. So he's like, oh, okay, I get it. So the, the thing that we don't know and what's so hard about your decision to fire or to not fire is if we are going to retire, Michael and myself, right, in the next year or two, we have to have something built into, and I reminded him of this and talked to him about this, a buffer, an insurance policy, meaning in quotes, like something to offset the sequence of return risk. Okay, guys, I wanted to pop in here just a minute. I'm editing the podcast and you know what? I think of things all the time and I think about you guys. I think about what I want to add into the content. And what I said right there may be that some people, maybe myself, maybe Michael, I'm not sure. I, I do have a friend that actually has an annuity as an insurance policy, if you will, that pays a certain amount of money to cover his expenses. So even though Vanguard, who I talked to, didn't really recommend an annuity, for myself and for Michael, for people that want to fire early, if it makes you sleep well at night, could it be that I could take a chunk of change and purchase an annuity which would pay me a certain dollar amount until I'm no longer on this planet, right? I mean, I'd have to research annuities. For some people, they could be a good deal. You know, Michael and I are just obsessing over what's possible. And I just wanted to share that with you that, you know, before we move forward, an, an annuity may be a good option, although I've always been kind of against them. And I will probably always trust Vanguard's input. But I just want to say again, an annuity is extremely attractive. You wouldn't have to worry about if the market's going up or going down. In fact, again, I said I have a friend right now that retired a couple years ago. His social security hasn't kicked in yet. He's about to turn 62 in November. And we were chatting the other day and, you know, his expenses are all paid by this annuity. How wonderful is that for him? So anyway, back to the episode right now. I talked to Michael about that. He had heard of it but he wasn't real familiar with the sequence of return risk. And I said, Michael, let's chat about that. I talked to him briefly about the 4% rule and how, what I just shared with you. And I said, okay, you know, that might be very true that this could be good for you. Um, but you would want to build your cash buffer, which he has cash. And it's okay, in my opinion, to keep that cash there because he already has the money in investments in the stock market to ward off inflation, right? Things like that. Um, for people that don't have the investments that we have in our buckets of, you know, the stock market, then it is not really smart to hold that much cash. But if you're getting to near retirement, and we've talked about this before, you guys know, it's okay to have that. And I talked to him about, you know, replenishing it, right? The bucket strategy. He didn't know about that, I don't think. <laughs> um and so that's where we ended that part of the conversation. And what I did then is I said, Michael, go get your laptop. 
I want you to go to the financialmentor.com, Todd Dresseter's website that you guys know. I think I've talked about that before. And let's now cross check and see if what they told you is accurate. And sure enough, when we plug the numbers into the ultimate calculator, and you guys can do this, you can go to financialmentor.com, click on the ultimate retirement calculator, put in the amount of money you have. And if you're building your journey, right? different than us. We're doing an analysis of if we retire in a year or so, but you guys can go to it. And if you have a 10, 15, 20 more years to work, great. You just put those numbers in. This is how much money I have. This is the expected rate of return for my portfolio, right? You have to look at those numbers carefully. And based on your asset allocation, if you're 80, 20, I'm not 80, 20, I'm 60, 40. I'm more balanced. I'm getting near retirement. I don't want to lose money if we go into a recession, right? As much. So that's where we're like, Michael, look at this, look at the, what they're asking you there. What is your portfolio going to return, right? Is it going to be 6%? I told him to be super conservative, like I shared with you guys, because I talked to him about a lost decade potential. Could we go into a decade that we're in right now that's going to return 0% at the end of that decade? And what does that mean? So we had a big, long discussion about that. And... You know, so what we did going to the financialmentor.com website, putting in the 650,000 and then plugging in the numbers, sure enough, it was very accurate in terms of what this financial advisor had told him about the money that he has in his 401k. So that made Michael feel good because, you know, when people tell you things, you want to cross check, you want to reverse engineer, you want to look at a calculator. And on that ultimate calculator, guys, I would encourage you to go there. It, then if you scroll down, you can look at and really see the numbers. I always believe in seeing the numbers and you can see a 30 year horizon, year one, how much money do you have, right? And even, even if you're building it and putting money in, but what we did, cause we're going to get near retirement here. We said, okay, we're going to retire next year. Let's see. Oh, we got this amount of money. What's the market return. It has columns. You know, how much do you take away, right? The 46,000, what's your balance at the end of year one? Then year two, what do you expect to get in the increase, right, of the market returns, if there is any? You take away 46000 what's your balance? And then you scroll down and go, oh, look, in year seven is when you get the income coming in of Social Security to offset the need. Okay, so I'm going to pause here just for a moment and switch gears and talk about what we did next. So when I was talking to Michael, we, we, we paused for a minute and we said, okay, now because we reverse engineered, we cross-checked, what they're telling you is, is, is okay. But I said, Michael, wait a minute. Remember that analysis was with your 401k only, but you have another $300,000, right? He's like, yes. And I said, okay, well now let's switch gears a little bit and do an analysis, analysis of your bigger picture. Because you really have like 950000 in uh, investments and savings, right? And, you know, what he had done, he threw other companies, a robo thing. I think he has, you know, at 60-40, his split is 60-40 for stocks and bonds. I said, well, now let's use that calculator to figure out you really have a lot more money than that. And let's broaden this horizon a little bit and talk about it in 
the fact that you actually have more money than was in that particular analysis. Okay. So he went to the calculator and he bumped up the number to 950,000 from the 650,000, right? So that's 300,000 more. And then we ran the numbers and by doing that, walked him through the fact that, you know, he's really better off than he thinks he is because he has this other money as well. And we, we talked about the fact again, that, you know, again, I, I can't stress this enough that once you get to the point where you are going to retire, the sequence of return risk is really very important. And I talked again about having the cash reserves and he wanted to know more about that. We talked about it and I was like, yeah, don't feel bad about having cash on the side at this point in your life because that's an insurance policy for you. Who cares if you're getting half a percent? You know, could you put, like I talked about last week, some of the money in I bonds? Of course you could, but that's what, 10,000 a year, I think it was. So it's not a whole lot of money. And, um, you know, we, we talked through that as well. The next thing I said to Michael was, Michael, remember when I was giving you my numbers and I told you at this point I'm saving 66, you know, 76%, right, is going into my savings and investing. I said, you are in that position as well. Your true expenses are only 17000 per year. Your biggest problem is your discretionary spending and what you're putting on your credit cards that he pays off at the end of the month but he's still very fluid and not really paying attention to how much money he's really spending. And what he should be doing is honkering down a little bit over the next year as he decides and thinks through if he's going to do this or not, the, the ability for him to take that cash and put it into the bucket to have as his insurance policy. Now, the other thing we talked about, which was very significant in this analysis that I said, Michael, they said that you could pull 46,000 and that alone was just on your 650,000. Okay. Now I, I was, I think that's problematic though, obviously because of average market returns that may not happen over these next five to 10 years. And I, he agreed with me and I, you know, we wanted to err on the side of bad market returns in the first five to seven to eight years. And if that's true, the sequence of return risk, because if he's pulling money and selling the shares bad, in my opinion, okay, very different. <clears throat> Michael, I said, Michael, what if we retired in 2010 and we had our million bucks? Now, we don't know what was going to happen in those subsequent years. That's what dynamic spending is all about. That's what reevaluating every year is all about. Now, I said, Michael, if we did retire in 2010 and we had our million, even after the recession, right? Let's say we had a 1.5, but it went down to 1 million or whatever because of the loss in the market. That was the longest bull market in history. I said, Michael, right? You know, we would have been pulling 46,000 a year, then reevaluating the next year. 2013, you guys may recall, I said before, was a huge year, right? I, I documented all this. So if I was just taking a, a 7% rate of return, um, in this analysis that they gave him, you probably would have been just fine because the markets were returning 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15% a year, right? Okay. Now that would have been, we wouldn't have known. Nobody can have a, a crystal ball to know that that 15 year horizon would have been so great, right? We also don't know that whatever point we retire, if that next 15 year horizon will be great or bad, or we don't know. So that's what I said, Michael, you just have to anal an analyze this every year 
going forward and especially then critical in your first you know, seven to 10 years because of the sequence of return risk. If the, you know, market goes down during those times. Yeah, not good. I also said, Michael, wait a minute. They were telling you 46,000. And and we also did our, his 950,000 analysis of the need of 46, right? And I showed him on the calculator that, you know, this could go 30 years or more. You're good, right? You'd be in your early nineties. So I said to him, Michael, look at what a good position you are in right now. You don't have to buy a property really for passive income. You have your passive income built within the infrastructure of what you are creating. This engine is larger than you think and has the ability to produce income on its own. I'm okay if you do the property, but just understand that what you've created for yourself is super valuable. And the fact even bigger than that really is what I want to share with you right now. And I've talked about this before is that everybody listening, you would want to keep your expenses as low as they can possibly be. That 16,000 of expenses that I have, the 17,000 of expenses that he has for your true expenses, get that down and get it down now while you're in your forties, going into your fifties. Because as you can see, when you're at this point, when you get to the point where you're wanting to think, you know, you might think that you want to work until you're 65, 70 or 75. You may change your mind when you get to 55 or 56 where I am right now. You know, there could be health issues. There could be all sorts of things that come into your life that can offset what you think you may want to do. And so by positioning yourself now and preparing yourself, the biggest thing you can do is get your expenses down. Because let's just look at this for a minute. I said, Michael, in this analysis of $46,000 that they're saying that you could be paid, right? And then, of course, it gets subsidized by Social Security kicking in as well. But the 46 is the same number, even adjusted for inflation every year, right? I said it might be 3% more the next year. So 46500 or, you know, the next year is 47000 The next year is 48000 right? So... I said, but that's an inflated need. Do you understand that, Michael? That's an inflated need. You do not really need that much. Look at your numbers. 46,000 minus his 17,000 for true expenses still leaves 29,000. Then I said, okay, take away 10,000 for healthcare, remember? Yes, I did the analysis of that. Like I would say average, maybe 10,000 he would have to pay per year, unless he's subsidized by what I talked about in previous episodes. If we are so lucky with the Biden administration, if that continues, it could be much less than 10, but let's use 10,000 as our benchmark of paying for healthcare until age 65 when Medicare kicks in. He's like, oh yeah, got it. So take that away. You still have $19,000. That's a huge number for fun and other. We also talked about, though, your cash reserves has to be for things like I talked about with you guys, like a car, a new car. He's like, yeah, okay, new car, a new roof on the house, these unexpected expenses that the life cycle of things that you have that cost money, you have to build that in. An air conditioning system might be six, seven, eight, ten thousand dollars $10,000, right? So in your buffer of money that you have in cash, you build that into, you know, you can do it on an Excel spreadsheet or in Ally bank where I have my savings account 
you know, you can create buckets and you can forecast into the future the need of this, the life event of things that you have, like your air, air conditioner, et cetera. Okay. So subtract that out. And then you should still have about three to five years of true expenses. So I said, Michael, let's look at this average market returns. Okay. What if your first five years are really bad market returns? He's like, uh Oh, I'm like, yeah. Um, you know, you want to have your preservation of principle, try to keep the million. And, and again, Michael is a person that doesn't have children like me. So we don't have descendants. We don't have money that we want to leave to people. So to say that for 30 years, you know, you have to die with 2 million is kind of crazy. So could you tap into principle as you go throughout those 30 years? Yes. You know, right, right. So you just have to, you know, think about your reality of what's going on there. But I said, your true need is not 46. That's inflated. You have 19,000 left over for fun and other. And you want to save as well while you're in retirement for those things that I'm talking about, air conditioners, whatever. If the market goes down, could you really get away with less? He's like, oh my gosh, I could. Could you honker down? Let's say there's a bad year. We go into retirement. The market goes down. We do go into recession in 2023. He retired. Okay, well, you got your cash reserves. So every year you reevaluate. And I talked to him about maybe living in arrears, which is something I'm going to do. When you retire, you think about the year that just passed, okay? So I said, Michael, let's visualize for a moment. Let's say we get to the year 2023, December. We're sitting here at the holidays drinking whatever, you know, um, eggnog. <laughs> and we're just chatting about, wow, 2023, the S&P 500 returned 10%. Wow. How much did your portfolio return? Because you're balanced at 50-50, right? 50 stocks, 50 bonds, just to make this these numbers simple. Oh, you got 5%. Okay. Well, could you just take a 4% withdrawal? You're still good. You've, you've kept your preservation of principle, your million, you're good. So in that year, for the next year of 2024, you could say, I'm going to take the money that I earned in my investments. And on paper, I'm kind of like saying, okay, I have my 46,000 that I want. Okay. You know, then yeah, I'm going to pull from my investments and have that go into my checking account and live. And then the next year you're like, uh oh, the market went down. Remember I shared with you 2018, my my investments were like a zero return or even negative 5%, I think it was. So if I was in retirement, then I would have said, wait a minute, either the year you're in or the following year, however you do that, you're offsetting that event by taking cash instead. You got your cash bucket, let your investments sit. You're not going to pull money from them. You don't want to sell shares. So you're going to instead live off the cash. Now, as you guys know, dividends are also coming into play as well. So when you're talking to financial advisors, they can build the withdrawal from dividends and things like that, which are not market fluctuation things. So there's multiple things going on there that are good things that you can leverage and work with an advisor on. But again, with Michael and I, we're just looking at the bigger picture of what's going on here. And he agreed that, yes, having cash on the side is so good, especially for us going into early retirement after the biggest bull market run in history, right? If we go into recession, those next several years, the early years of retirement, that cash is super important. But his need, again, just to circle back to that, is not really 46,000. I mean, let's look at those numbers again. 
he would need 17,000 if he really hunkered down and said, you know what? Yeah, I need to be super conservative this year. I'm going to do that. You know, for me, being frugal is easy. But for, you know, 17, he would need that. He would need 10,000 to pay his health care if he retires before age 65. That's 27,000. And then I'm like, Michael, how much could you really live on, you know, if you hunker down, maybe 5,000? So we're up to 32, you know, minus originally 46. So, you know, that's 14, 15,000 less. I've talked about this before, and its expenses are so huge. For people that go into retirement, whether it's early or not, if most of your need of that 46,000 is your true expenses, right? You have a big mortgage, you have a big car payment. That need cannot fluctuate. You need the 46,000, okay? But if you have a lesser of a required need, and most of that is discretionary spending, then you're good. You can reduce that need in bad years. That's dynamic spending, okay? And um, I also reminded Michael, as we were talking through here, that was super important. Um, we talked about the, uh, again, the cash reserves, um, the sequence of return risk, you know, all of that. You know, his greatest success really is keeping those expenses down. And that's something that he needs to think about then as we go into the next year or so. Um, thinking through, you know, do I really want to buy a property and get into a risky, perhaps investment, the market could go down, I may not be able to sell it. You know, we don't know what's going to happen with real estate. Had he decided to do real estate earlier on in his life, and have property produce passive income, then that could have been a very good thing. But to think about it this late in the game, I was saying to him, I don't know that that would be the best use of your money. Um, instead, you can build this you know, um, insurance policy for yourself with the cash might be better than going into something like that. So just to wrap up, I'm looking over my notes here because I think, I think I've got everything that I wanted to share with you in my conversations with Michael and if we're going to fire or not fire. Um, I think I covered the most important points. Oh, he did say the elephant in the room is I'll end with this. Um, as we were talking through this, you know, by now we're into dinner time. <laughs> um, so we're talking through this. This went on all day long. You know, I was there eight hours. We may have talked about finances for about four hours. And we would circle back to it a little bit later. And he goes, you know what, Evan? He said, what I really have to think about, and this is what we all have to think about, um, if we're going to fire or not fire, is if you're in a job that you hate, then obviously there's going to be something that you have to do. And I shared with him what I've shared with you guys that for me, going into early retirement and firing right now might not be the best thing for me, but I position myself to do it, which is great. But each, each subsequent year that you decide to work is such a huge win in this equation. It's astronomical, right? The fact that I'm saving into my cash account, that 53,000 that I told you about, in a couple of years, it's a hundred grand that I'm adding, right? If the market goes down, I said, Michael, saving your cash at this point when the markets could potentially be going down and into a recession, I think is very smart because if you change your mind and all of a sudden you have too much cash, you could take 10,000 of that, 20,000 of that, 
pop it into your investments and buy it when the shares are down, right? The S&P 500, I, I reminded him, is right now 19% down, percent down. I might even take some of the cash I have and purchase some shares, okay? So what you're doing is, you know, as you're building your career of finances, you know, financial independence, if you're in your 40s or 30s, you know, you're doing your dollar cost averaging, as I've talked about, from your paychecks going into investments. I never thought about what I'm thinking about right now. Um, but you get to a point here that you can have more fluidity and options, again, with what you do with this cash. If he decides to work another couple of years and he saved all this cash, okay, then pop some of that into the market, the stock market, and buy it when the shares are down, right? Yeah, you can do a lump sum. He can even dollar cost average it over the course of 12 months if you want to. All the research I've done says if you have extra money laying around and the market goes down, just pop it all in, right? You bought the shares, then eventually they're going to go back up. Then you have this windfall of accelerated um, money in that account because you bought the shares when they were down. So again, you know, that's what gives us flexibility. And he said the elephant in the room for him, which I'm ending with on this very long episode that I'm rambling, <laughs> is can he really work another three years, right? I said to him, I said, Michael, remember 12 years ago, 10 years ago, whatever it was, you were telling me that your job was miserable. He's been with a bank for 32 years. He's also hoping that they lay him off because I think he said he would walk away with one week of salary for every year he's been with the company. That's huge. He could walk away with like $100,000 of severance. So yeah, if you get it to this point, you know, it could be voluntary severance package, you know, that's something that's on the table as well. You know, why quit if you think there could be an opportunity for your company to lay you off? Okay, you would raise your hand and say, yeah, I'll take a severance package. I'm good. <laughs> um, why quit on your own if you think that may be a possibility? He just has to decide, is this job something that he can do for the next three to five years if he can, wants to continue to work? Because 10 years ago when he was miserable, he was losing sleep. There was anxiety. If any of you are in that kind of situation, whether you're 40 years old or 55 years old, you would want to get out of that right away. Find another job. If it pays less, that's fine. You know, do what you have to do for your own mental health. The month of May is mental health month. And so I've even been thinking about that as well. Position yourself not only with your finances, but with your mental health as well. If you're in a job that's something you hate, don't stay there. You know, so Michael, I said, on a scale of one to 10, how bad is your job? Is it really that bad? He goes, no, it's like a six. It's not that bad or five somewhere in there. You know, then can you reinvent in your mind like I do with my job and say, you know what, Evan, it's really not that bad. I'm working from home. They're telling me I don't have to travel. These are all huge, huge windfalls in my favor of continuing to work and change my attitude and my lifestyle. The pandemic is getting to and closing, coming to an end, right? I'm going to dinner more. I'm seeing friends. I'm doing things. Those are the things I would want you guys to focus on rather than just, you know, quitting and saying, I'm going to fire before the time is really right. It has to be the right time emotionally, the right time financially. And I told Michael, I said, Michael, if I decide to fire, I may be sitting around after three months going, what have I done? 
I just gave up an income of a total income that I shared with you earlier in this episode of 114,000. Really? And my expenses are only 16,000. I have a 76% savings rate. Should I give that up? Probably not. So those are the things. Can I reinvent myself and do things in my personal life to give me that feeling of change? Absolutely I can. And you guys can do the same. To close this episode, again, Michael said the elephant in the room is, can he do that? I don't know. And he doesn't know right now. So I said, you know what? Who cares? You've positioned yourself for the greatest success. I said, I'm very proud of you. You have done these things. You sold the property. You have this windfall of cash. You have a great job. You're making a great salary. Your expenses, you know, don't make a mistake and go blow your expenses and get that back up. Don't go, don't go Lisa Mercedes, you know, don't go Lisa Maserati or whatever those cars are. Don't make those decisions. Always be cognizant of the expenses being super low. And that's how I'm going to end this episode for you guys today is again, just wanted to share with you my meeting with Michael, my conversations with Michael, my lunch with Michael, which turned into my dinner with Michael. And I would encourage all of you to have somebody in your personal life that you can share your journey with, whether that be your significant other or a friend that you open up to them and say, this is where I am right now. I have X amount of dollars in my investments. This is my income. Don't be afraid to share what your numbers are, however bad they are. If they're bad, if you have lots of debt, many of you are probably still trying to get out of debt. You will get there. You will get there if you curb your behavior. Remember, most of personal finance is behavior and not the money that you're actually making. It's what you do with the money that you're making and changing the behavior to get your debt down. If you've got lots of debt on credit cards, you know you're going to be using your money to pay that down and stop the behavior. Stop the bleeding. Take these 15 years that you have from 40 to age 55 or whatever year you are at and map it out on paper. Go to this ultimate retirement calculator when you have time. Tom Dressiter, Todd Dressiter's website, The Financial Mentor. It's free. Just click that ultimate calculator, put in your numbers and start visioning out the next 5, 10 to 15 years. And when you get to a point when your expenses are as low as they can possibly be and your income is as high as it can be, your savings rate is going to be what takes you as a latent life saver into where you want to position yourself for the greatest success as you think about then if you're going to fire or not fire. So that's what I have for you this episode, everybody. To end this like I always do, I want you to make it your mission to walk with me to wealth. You guys know I appreciate you. I believe in you and I congratulate you for every step of the way. This is Evan Thomas. I'll see you next week on the Broke at 40 podcast. All righty, that's going to do it for another episode, everybody. Hey, I've got a favor. If you've got a friend that's struggling financially at any age, please share this episode with them. Let them know that I went from broke to a million dollar net worth in just about 14 years. And if I can do it, anybody can. And if you're on Apple Podcasts, please give us a five-star review. We would really appreciate it. 
What do I always say? It's okay to be broke at 40. It really is, but not at 50 or 55 now that you found us. You can change your financial destiny. I'm Evan Thomas, and this is the Broke at 40 podcast.